0: Welcome to the Invictus Church podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, welcome, everybody, to week number one of Say What? I mean, have you ever read parts of the Bible and thought that to yourself, what did I just read? What did God just say? What did Jesus just say? Jesus said lots of things that made people stop and go, huh? What in the world did he mean by that? Or why would he say something so weird? Um, Like the whole communion thing. We just took communion a little while ago, and uh, we'll be talking about that in week four of this series. And uh, one of the weird things that caught people's attention is Jesus is like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so it's like, you know, Christians are Vampires, or some kind of weird thing. I mean, what is Jesus talking about there? It's odd and it catches you off guard. And today we are uh, going to be looking at a passage in the book of Mark. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9 and we're going to read there in just a minute. But uh, uh, there's no way for us to cover in this series every single, say what kind of statement in the Bible. Uh, Just not going to be able to do it. Uh, We're not even going to be able to talk about all of them that Jesus said. And uh, so uh, I I just want you to be prepared and be ready for the fact that we're not going to be able to cover it all. And that's by design uh, for two reasons, really. Uh, Number one, if we were to cover them all, uh, this would be like a 10-year-long series. We would just be here forever and everybody would get really tired of watching the bad-beard Jesus talk. Uh, to Sandy. And, and so anyway, uh, uh, it would just be weird watching all of those videos. It would take too long to get through it all. And secondly, I want to equip you with principles that will help you when you're reading the Bible on your own and help you understand uh, better how to Uh, read and learn from the say what statements in the Bible, because ultimately my goal as your pastor is for you to read scripture yourself, for you to digest God's word in your own life, in your own time, rather than just being spoon fed once a week when you come to church. Because if all you do is eat a nice little bowl of cereal once a week, what are you going to look like? you're going to look like you've starved to death. And some of you are thinking, hey, maybe that's a good diet plan. Right? Um You'll be miserable, but you'll lose a lot of weight if you just have one bowl of cereal every week, and yet that's the way many Christians live their lives. We we go through our life not focusing on God's Word every single day, not eating those spiritual meals every single day, and we wonder why when we just go to church and get a little bowl of cereal on Sundays, why we're spiritually emaciated and unhealthy, Well, it's not mysterious. The evidence is right there. We've got to learn to study the Bible ourselves. And so uh, here's the principle behind this entire series. We're going to talk about it every week in this series. And so I want you guys to learn it and remember it. And here's the guiding principle of this series. Every time scripture makes you think, say what? It's to teach you something powerful and life-changing. Every time. When the scripture makes you stop and go, huh? It's not to confuse you. It's not to throw you off. It's to teach you something powerful and life changing. Now, a lot of people approach these say what statements in the Bible differently. And there are three bad ways to approach uh, these statements, and there's one good way. There are three bad attitudes and one really good attitude, and here's what the three bad ones are. The first one is arrogance. I don't agree with that statement, so I'm just done with it. I don't agree with what Jesus said, so forget about it. That's arrogant. The second one is busyness. Well, I don't get it, and I'm really busy. I don't have time to study it, so eh, I'm just going to go on. And the last one is maybe the worst. It's laziness. And I think that a lot of Christians are really guilty of this. Well, it's confusing, and I'm not a Bible scholar, so I just kind of give up. Or my best effort will be, I'll ask my pastor, and his opinion will become my opinion. That's lame, guys. Let's not be those people. Instead, the attitude that we should have when Jesus says something that makes us say, say, what? It should be an attitude of tenacity. I'm going to be tenaciously open. God, what are you trying to teach me? I'm going to be tenaciously committed. I'm going to set aside time to meditate and study on this teaching. Instead of just skipping over the hard parts of the Bible when it gets weird and awkward and makes you say, say, what? Stop. Pray. Meditate, Lord, what are you wanting to show me? And then be tenaciously curious. Say, I'm going to learn and I'm going to implement the life-changing principle that Jesus is teaching here no matter what it takes. I'm going to be curious and I'm going to find it out. I'm going to dig it up. There is an overarching principle for every say what passage in the Bible. And it is this. Every time scripture makes me think, say what? It's to teach me something powerful and life changing. So I want you to say that with me. I'm gonna say the first part, and then you're gonna say the second part, all right? Every time scripture makes me think, say what? What is it for? It's to teach me something powerful and life changing. Why does the Bible make you stop and say what? Why? to teach me something powerful and life-changing. So it's there for a reason. It's not there to stump you, confuse you, throw you off. It's there to get your attention. So, has God got your attention this morning? Are you ready to dive in and find out what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 9? Mark 9, verses 42 through 48. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts me to fall into sin... It would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, guess what? Gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. And all of God's people said, say what? Wow, Jesus, this is harsh and weird and kind of dark and, well... There's a couple of phrases I want you to take note of first uh, to help us understand this text. And uh, they're both Greek phrases or Greek words. Uh, the first one, if it's in verse 42, I want you to underline uh, the words little ones or maybe little children, your scripture, your, your translation says. I don't know what translation of the Bible you've got there, but it, it may have slightly different words. But that, that, uh, what we've translated here in the New Living Translation, little ones, is the Greek word "mikros." Everybody say mikros. Mikros. It means least, less, or small. Now, this is different than the Greek world that is literally translated children. So if your passage says children, it's figuratively talking about children, not literally talking about children. Figuratively, it's speaking about the least or less or people with small something. Small what? In this case, small faith. This passage is referring to people who have only a little faith in Christ. Now, that could mean they're a young Christian, a baby Christian, if you will, somebody that just started believing in Jesus, and they uh, have a weaker faith, a lesser faith. They believe in Jesus, but they're still just starting out on this journey and growing. It could also, and this is where I really want to get your attention, it could also be referring to people that I call pre-Christians. They have about this much belief. And what I mean by that is it's just enough openness to consider Christ. And they may not even be Christians yet, but they're open to considering Christ. If you cause those people to stumble, Jesus is saying, that's, a big deal. So the first one is talking about the least of these, the least ones, the little ones. It refers to people who have little faith in Jesus, or maybe even those who the faith is so small, it's just enough to actually consider him and listen to him and be open to him. Now, the second phrase that we've translated here, Cause to fall into sin. In the King James Bible, it's the word offend. Or in the New King James translation, it's "cause to stumble. And the Greek word here that we've translated is skandalizo. Everybody say skandalizo. Skandalizo. Sounds like an English word, doesn't it, that we hear in politics all the time? Scandal. It's where we get scandal and scandalize from. It has a Greek origin. It literally means to trip up. Don't cause somebody to trip up. Don't cause a scandal. Don't cause those who have just a wee little bit of faith. Don't scandalize them. Don't cause them to stumble. It refers to any action or behavior that we have in our own life that may cause other people to lose faith. Now, this is especially meaningful regarding my behaviors around those who don't yet know Jesus. It's especially important for us to consider that. How many people, when I I start to review my life, might not be going to heaven because of my behavior? That's a sobering question for us to consider. So with these things in mind, me cross and Scandalizo, they inform what Jesus is saying here that makes us stop and say, say, what? When he's saying cut off your hand or cut off your foot or stab out your eye. Those things really make a lot more sense when you think about, it's better for me to have this awful stuff happen to me than for me to cause somebody to fall away from Jesus or to not know Jesus. Ouch. Now, Jesus was not speaking literally. Don't go home and poke out your eyes. Five out of five doctors recommend that's a bad idea. Right? I mean, don't go home and cut off your hands. He's... Talking, I mean, if Jesus was literally talking about that, imagine what heaven's gonna be like. A bunch of blind people with quadruple amputees, you know? What I mean, it's like, <laughs> because I wouldn't just be able to cut off one head, I'd have to cut them off both, you know, both my feet, both my eyes, and, you know, I thought, just be bad news, right? I'd have to cut off my head. Jesus was speaking figuratively to make a point. What's the point? Well, remember, The big idea behind this whole series, every time scripture makes me think, say, what? What's it for? It's to teach me something powerful and life-changing. Jesus is speaking figuratively to teach us something powerful and life-changing. So there are two life-changing principles in this passage that I want you to write down. And the first one is this. The first life-changing principle we get from this passage is, I have more influence than I think. You have a lot more influence on the people around you than you are aware. We don't live in a vacuum. What we do affects other people, and it affects them forever. Think about that for just a minute. It affects them eternally. You're driving down Coleraine Avenue. You have your Invictus Church sticker on the back of your car. And some knucklehead cuts you off. So you drive around him, cut him off, and give him the finger. (laughs) That's exactly the kind of thing Jesus is talking about here. Better to cut off your middle finger than to cause somebody else to stumble. They see the Invictus Church sticker, and they go, oh, that's what Christians are like. Well, I'm done with Jesus. How many people might be going to hell because of our middle fingers? Because of our road rage? Because I can't bite my tongue? Because I can't be civil in the line at Kroger? Because I am disgusted by the people of Walmart? How many people will walk away from Jesus and not consider him because they see me a Christian? Behaving badly. Wow, the room's quiet. Kind of sobering, isn't it? When we consider our own behaviors, Lord forgive me. Hell is going to be full of people, and part of it's my responsibility. No wonder, he says, it's better if you cut off your hand. If you accept your responsibility for other people's eternity, that weight will definitely weigh on you. It'll keep you up at night. It'll make you want to change. And understanding and owning that responsibility ain't no small thing. It would be easier to cut off my hands than to really live with that reality, that understanding, that profound knowledge that what I do has a profound influence on other people. The first life-changing principle is I have more influence than I think. And my prayer is that this week you will go home and actually have a little bit of insomnia because of that truth. Not because I want you to be miserable, but because I want you to be painfully aware that we have a world Jesus died for. And what we do helps them come to know him or walk away from him. What we do matters. I have more influence than I think. And the second life-changing principle, since I have more influence than I think, therefore, radical should be my new normal. Radical should be my new normal. What should be your new normal? Radical. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we're like, I don't want to be like too Christian. I don't want to be too extreme. I don't want to be too much about Jesus and the Bible and all that stuff because people will think I'm weird. Well, here at Invictus Church, we love to say we choose to be weird because normal isn't working. Normal is broken. Look at our world. You know what's normal? Nuts going into Walmart with weapons and killing people. the shooting in Dayton, Ohio, unwanted pregnancies, abortions stacked so high they make what Hitler did in World War II look like nothing. What's normal in our culture? Having sex with whoever you want and then living with agonizing, painful guilt that you can't explain afterwards. Wondering why you feel so bad about something that felt so good. Because maybe there's a better way. Our normal in our culture is messed up. What's normal in our culture? Racism. What's normal in our culture? One nation. Under God. Indivisible. Bull. We're not under God. We're certainly not indivisible. We are... Wickedly divided. Normal ain't working. It's time to be radical. It's time for radical to become our new normal. People get mad over our vice president because he has some radical behaviors in his life as a follower of Jesus. He says, I will not be alone with a woman who's not my wife. And people Get all bent out of shape. Oh, he's being sexist. He's just trying to have a standard in his life that is meaningful. Why would we condemn somebody for that? Do we condemn an alcoholic for walking into Applebee's and not drinking alcohol? No. They have to radically make the decision, I will never touch alcohol again. Why? Because it has almost destroyed my life. So radical becomes their new normal. And we as Christians should make radical our normal. People should think it's weird that you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is open your Bible and spend time with Jesus. People should think it's weird that you don't talk like everybody else. They should think it's weird that in traffic, you're nice. They should think it's weird that you put up with an ignorant boss that everybody else gossips about and talks badly about, but you don't participate. People should think it's weird that you are different. Why? Because you're a follower of Jesus, and for you, radical is normal. Jesus said, follow me, he said, I want you to take up your cross daily and follow me. In our culture, that means, oh, we get to wear a pretty little gold necklace. How many people do we see wearing crosses and they don't mean anything? When Jesus said those words, you talk about scandalizo, it was scandalizing what Jesus was talking about. Take up your cross. That was the most cruel method of capital punishment that the Romans could possibly conceive of. That would be like in our world, Jesus saying, I want you to take up every single day your electric chair. And I want you to die to yourself every day. I want you to sit in that chair, push the button, and re-kill the old you so that the new you will be there in your place. Jesus said shocking things because being a follower of Christ is not some easy, believing, mamby-pamby thing that I can do with half commitment and half heart. Jesus said, broad is the road and easy is the road that leads to destruction and many are those who are on it. But narrow and difficult is the road that leads to life, and few there are who are on it. Rock and roll lyrics got it right. Just in the titles of songs, when you think about the highway to hell and the stairway to heaven, it tells you something about the traffic, doesn't it? Being a follower of Jesus means being radical. If you are not radical, I've got news for you. You're not following Jesus. Ouch. I don't say that to condemn you, to scare you, to be mean to you, to frighten you, to manipulate you. I say it because it's true. Are you taking up your electric chair? Is radical your normal? The point is this. It's right to go to extremes so that you never impede anyone's faith. Think about Lance Armstrong. People were really inspired by Lance Armstrong for years and years and years. I mean, he won the Tour de France, I think more times than the Tour de France actually took place. That guy just won over and over and over again, and he beat cancer, and won again and again and again, and everybody was like, Lance Armstrong is amazing, and so flabby 40-somethings like me would get inspired by this guy and go buy a, a bicycle and biker shorts, and we would be showing rolls of fat that we should never have shown the public, but we'd get on our bikes and feel better about ourselves, because why we were inspired, why were we inspired? Were any of us inspired by the flabby 40-something with the spandex pants? No, we were inspired by the amazing guy who was radical. And then what happened when his behavior turned out to be a farce? And he was cheating and using performance-enhancing drugs. Suddenly nobody looks to him for inspiration anymore. Ever since then, I haven't even heard on the news the words, Tour de France. Who won it last year? I don't know. It wasn't Lance Armstrong, so who cares? We are inspired by radical. Nobody is inspired by mediocre. You will never inspire somebody into heaven by being a lame Christian. You just won't. When you get to heaven one day and somebody comes up to you and says, I'm here because of you. That statement will be followed by a story. And you know what the story is not going to be? It's not going to be this, hey, I'm here because of you, because you were so average in your following of Jesus that I wanted to be like that too. That's not going to be the story. They're going to say, I'm here because of you. You lived so differently. It got my attention. And it was weird. And at first, maybe I didn't even like it. And some of them will say, I didn't like you. But I watched. And I noticed something different. And eventually I believed. How many of us will have stories that are the opposite. People who don't go to heaven and are eternally separated from God saying, if you had just lived a little bit different, it would have got my attention. And I would have believed but there was nothing inspiring about your Christianity. There was nothing about it that drew me to Jesus. So I didn't believe. I thought, why bother? Why would I want to be a Christian if it doesn't mean that anything is really any different? What we do absolutely matters. What radical boundaries do you have in your life? What radical behaviors do you have in your life? Maybe there are things in your life you need to stop doing because doing these things causes others to stumble. Maybe you you need to never again travel alone with the opposite sex. Well, I have to do it for work. You tell your boss, ain't happening anymore. And if it does, I have to get a new job. Maybe that's a boundary you need to put in your life. Maybe you need to drop premium cable channels because they have such explicitly sexual stuff on there that it makes your mind begin to slip and causes you to sin and to fall into other things. Maybe you need to stop making everything on your Facebook posts about politics. Because when you do that, people think, Christians are all about politics instead of all about Jesus. Maybe we need to stop bad-mouthing other churches or denominations because when we do that, it just makes Jesus look bad. Maybe a boundary in your life, something you need to stop doing is you need to stop talking about people behind their backs because Christians are some of the best gossipers I've ever been around, and we need to change that. Maybe you need to stop offering your opinion about everything because the way you do it can be condescending and it never seems to help people, it just turns them off. Maybe you need to stop drinking. Because it's a stumbling block for people you know. Maybe you need to stop wearing provocative clothing because Jesus sets higher standards. Maybe you need to stop behaving sexually like you've been behaving because you know it doesn't honor God. You know that other people who are not Christians are seeing you do this and they're going, well, they do it too. So it's, you know, no big deal for me to behave that way. Maybe there are some things in your life you need to change because they are stumbling blocks. Scandalizo for micros, for people who are open to Jesus, but they may never follow him because of our behaviors. Maybe there are things in your life that you need to start doing, some radical things that need to change. Not that doing these things ever causes somebody, uh, or not doing these things causes others to stumble by never giving them the chance to know Jesus. So here's what I mean. Maybe you need to chop up your credit cards, sell your car, get out of debt as fast as you can because the financial lifestyle that you're living prevents you from giving to God the way that you need to give to God so that more people can come to know Christ. Maybe you need to downsize your home so you can have more margin and be more generous. Or maybe you need to quit that job that you have that keeps you uh, from being able to have free time to uh, volunteer, to serve on mission. Maybe you need to give up some of your day off to share the love of Jesus with others by serving in the community or by just going out and handing out invite cards to people around the community. Hey, come check out our church. We're weird because normal isn't working. Maybe you just start carrying invite cards with you everywhere you go and invite everybody that you know because you want them to have the opportunity to hear about Christ and to be changed for eternity. Maybe you need to suck up your pride and invite that person that you think will never come to church. Your inaction is causing them to stumble. Begin the process to adopt a child maybe. Maybe. A child who may never hear about Jesus if they aren't adopted into a home like yours where they will hear about Jesus. The point is this. There's nothing too radical that you can do to help others follow Christ. There's nothing too radical that you can do to help others follow Jesus. Here at our church, at Invictus Church, we like to say we will do anything short of sin to see people come to know Christ. Anything short of sin, we won't cross that moral boundary. Why? Because we're radical about being righteous. We're radical about seeing people come to know Christ, and we're radical about obedience to God. Therefore, we will do anything that we can, if it is not sinful, to see people come to know Christ. That's the attitude of our church, and it ought to be the attitude of every believer. Now, I want to digress for just one second, and then we're going to wrap up. I want to talk about something important that Jesus talks about in this passage that also makes me stop and go say, what? And Jesus says, it's better for us to go to extremes to be radical than to be thrown into hell. Does that mean that those of us who are followers of Jesus, if we're not radical, will be thrown into hell? It brings up what we call theologically the question of apostasy. That's the seminary phrase, the seminary question for can a person lose their salvation in Christ? And there are groups of Christians who disagree on this and have disagreed about it for 2,000 years. And so... I'm not going to solve the debate, you're not going to solve the debate. But the question is, once a person has chosen to follow Jesus, can they do something so bad that they're no longer saved? It's the question of apostasy. Now, one side says, yes, a person can become an apostate. They can lose their salvation. The other side says, no, eternal life starts at the moment that a person believes, not the moment they die. If it started the moment they died instead of the moment they believed, it's not really eternal life, it's uh, soon to be life. And so there's disagreement about this. Now, the Bible, upon initial inspection, when you start reading it, uh, seems maybe to indicate both positions are true. And that's confusing. We call this proof texting. People who want to prove their side, pick a handful of verses and say, see, the Bible says this, so I'm right. And then the other side who says, no, I disagree with you. The Bible says this, so I'm right. The real question is, well, how do you know who's right? And so some of you may be wondering, well, what do I think? I'm not going to tell you. At least not today. Because that's a whole other sermon. But the reason I'm not going to tell you is this. Many of you will say, well, that's what my pastor thinks, so that's what I think. And that's a dumb reason to believe. Don't just take my word for it. You want to know something? I'm a disaster. I am profoundly flawed. And my wife knows this better than anybody. I am often wrong. (laughs) I've learned to say something in my marriage. It took me a long time to get there because I'm prideful and dumb. It's like I was wrong. You know, honey, you were right. Stacy loves it when I say that. She's like, wait, what did you just say? Yeah. I've I've even learned that with my kids. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a debate with my oldest son about something, and then he's able to demonstrate that I'm wrong, and I'm going, when did my kid become smarter than me? This is sad. I'm a mess. I sin. I struggle with anxiety and depression. I'm overweight. I'm addicted to French fries and burgers and chocolate. I'm a mess. So don't just take my word for it. The reason I'm not going to tell you my answer to this question of apostasy today is because I want you to go home and open your Bibles and study it yourself. Ask the Lord, what does this mean? What are you telling me? I believe that when you study the Bible on your own, then what you, the conclusions you come to will be bedrock convictions, not just opinions. When I was 15 years old, some people read to me a few proof texts about how they uh, thought you can lose your salvation, and I had grown up in a Baptist church where I was always to- told, once saved, always saved. And... Um, I met a Nazarene friend who went to a Nazarene church, and he's like, no, you can lose your salvation, and here's what the Bible says about that. And I was, like, freaked out. I'm going, how come I've never seen this? Because I hadn't read the Bible for myself. Now, I could have just gone to my pastor and said, you know, Pastor, what do you think? And he would have given me the pat- Baptist answer, and I could have said, well, that's my opinion then because I go to a Baptist church. But that would have been lazy, and it would have just been an opinion. It would have been my, wouldn't have been my conviction. So I had to spend time, and I actually spent years wrestling with it. This was not one of those theological questions that I came to a quick answer. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor, it's okay to not be sure about some of this stuff. It's okay to wrestle with it. God's big enough to handle your questions. He's not freaked out by them. He's not even surprised by them. And it's okay to not be a spiritual know-it-all who has to prove everybody else wrong, and you're right. In fact, it's actually good if you're not like that. It's good when we as Christians can say, you know what, there are things in Scripture that we don't fully understand, but we're going to love each other anyway. And one day when I share with you my conclusion on this, I hope and pray that there are some of you who will still disagree with me. Why? Because we can love each other anyway. I think there's something beautiful about a church that says we agree on the essentials. But on the non-essentials, we have freedom. And in all things, we have love. We don't all have to agree on everything. But we do have to agree on the most important things. What's the most important thing? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through Him. And therefore, what we do affects whether or not people come to know Christ, and whether or not people get to the Father, whether or not people get into heaven. That's what matters. The point Jesus is making in this passage is that we should be weird, radical, should be our new normal. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Those are some of the scariest words in all the Bible. I think the reason Jesus says those words perfectly ties in to this passage that we've read today in Mark chapter 9. And it's that radical is not about earning salvation. Radical is about demonstrating our salvation. There will be many people on Judgment Day who will say, Jesus, I went to church every week. I gave to missions. I tithed. I was faithful, but my, my life was never really different. I believed with a little B, but not with a capital B. I had a little F faith, but not capital F Faith. I never really gave you my life. I just wanted heaven insurance. And Jesus is going to say, "All state isn't sold here. State farm won't get you to heaven. Only giving everything, taking up your electric chair daily. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're not taking up your electric chair, the question you need to ask yourself today is this. Not, have I lost my salvation, but have I ever had it to begin with? Because Jesus says the proof is in the pudding. Jesus' own brother writes in the book of James, Faith without works is dead. He's not saying your works get you to heaven. He's he's saying your works prove that you're going there. So, what does your life look like? Are you radical or are you meh for Jesus? What is it? What is it? Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at Invictus.Church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.Invictus.Church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.